Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. And thank you everyone for joining us for our Q3 2021 results call, where we will obviously also address the transaction that we announced yesterday morning. Um, On slide two, I'd like to point you to the disclaimer, particularly on forward-looking statements. Um, The presentation is available on our website, and we'll leave you to read that in your own time. On the call, I'm joined by Andrew Ray, our CEO, Graham Crew, our COO, Paul Thompson, our CFO, and then Mitch Russell, who is our VP Exploration. And with that, I will hand over to Andrew to kick off the call. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michael, and hello to everybody. I'll start on slide four, where very briefly there's a reminder of what and where we are as a business, um, together there with the current and future plans for WASA. Moving on, and as Michael mentioned on slide five there, before we get into the Q3 uh, overview and results, um, we should really talk about yesterday's announcement where we announced that uh, Shifeng Gold um, is acquiring Golden Star in an all-cash offer at $3.91 US per share, which equates to a value for the business of approximately $470 million US dollars. Uh, Shifong, uh, for those that are not familiar, is an established gold mining operator uh, listed in Shanghai, market cap of 4.3 billion US. Um, They currently operate five assets, four of those in China, and then um, the Sapon mine in Laos they acquired a few years ago from MMG. Um, There is no financing condition on this transaction, just to note and make that clear. In terms of the timeline, you can see there we're expecting January, so probably mid-January, we expect at this point in time um, in terms of the likely closing of the transaction uh, once we've got through various uh, approvals, shareholder approvals, regulatory approvals, uh, and other conditions met. Um, In terms of, of those approvals beyond the shareholder approvals, I think the key ones really to mention 
are in Ghana. There will be the no objection approval sought from the minister in order for that uh, the transaction to proceed. And then the three separate regulatory approvals that Shifong are already working on in China, which are the standard ones for a deal of this nature. Um, we'll come back to that, I'm sure, when we get to Q&A, but that just gives you an overview of the transaction itself. You can see what that value equates to in terms of the various premier to different points in time. Um, and as I said, we'll happily take questions on that once we've gone through the Q3 results. Moving on to slide six on those results there. I think uh, overall, pretty solid quarter for the business, no real surprises. The results fairly much in line with our expectations. <coughs> Graham will talk a little bit more about the operations and the key focus areas there and um, pull what that means in terms of financials and, and the balance sheet. But, um, you know, the key feature really, I think, is the uh, above and beyond the underground run of mine. It's the continued processing of the low-grade stockpiles, um, which we use to offset some of the lower volumes in terms of underground material. Um, we continue to invest in terms of our capital program in the business for that future growth from WASA. Um, some good in-mine expiration results that Mitch will talk a little bit about later on, and some further optimization of the balance sheet during the quarter. Um, and then on the Paceville restart and commissioning, Graham will give a little bit of detail around how that process is progressing. Moving on to slide seven in terms of health and safety, uh, I think the real focus there continues to be managing COVID. And we've certainly seen a noticeable uptick over Q3 in cases and case rates, um, both where we are in the Western region in Ghana, as well as, a, as the country as a whole. But the screening protocols we've got in place have helped us to capture most of that and also minimize the impact on operations. Well, we've spoken a little bit previously about some of the expat jumbo operators, which, as it says here, we addressed in the second quarter by uh, bringing in more operators, more Ghanaian operators, so we get around that problem in terms of some of the travel inconveniences and, and barriers. And we've seen uh, continued progress on development rates during the quarter, which is encouraging. And then just one final one from me before I hand over to Graham. In terms of the outlook, um, I think there the message is really with those results and just the fourth quarter to come very much on track to deliver on guidance for the full year. So with that, I'll hand over to Graham to give a bit more detail on the operation. Uh, thanks, Andrew. So moving over to slide 10, uh, just a little bit more information on the taste backfill system commissioning. Um, I think everyone's aware now that we suspended that um, back in Q1, we've been going on doing test work 
uh, with a group called Mines Soil Services in Australia in collaboration with University of Mines and Technology in Ghana. Uh, this, this, the testing work has gone well. Uh, we have we moved on to filling a second test so using the maximum cement percentage, which is 10%. Uh, that was completed during October, and we've got a set of 28-day test results which show that it's meeting the design criteria um, at that slightly higher percent of uh, cement content. And we're continuing. The, the key thing really for us is if there's any degradation after 56. We've also identified some alternative binder mixes that are available in country and we're moving on to now, during this quarter, we're moving on to another test dope um, using a, an alternative slag-based or a binder with a higher percentage of slag-based binder within it. Um, so that's showing really good results at a lab level, so looking forward to running that through the plant and then, then we should be um, full production for 2022. Uh, moving on to the quarter, as Andrew touched on, um, or four tons were down a little bit. We restricted, um, as we mentioned when we when we talked about the revised plan for the second half, uh, a little bit restricted on available mining areas. Um, so you know that average of around 3,700 tonnes per day. A little, little bit of a grade benefit late in the quarter, we did some work on um, some pillar recovery um, back up in panel one. That helped boost the grade late in the quarter. Um, so that was, that was a pleasing result to see there. Development, as Andrew said, um, continued improvement um, for what we've seen there. Still, still more work to do to build our development imagery and increase flexibility, but with that and obviously the pace bill um, coming on, um, things are looking um, in a better position for 2022 um, and the, the total production there that you can you can see. Uh, on the cost side, obviously the reduced volumes um, have had an impact on the on the unit costs, um, processing costs supported by the, the low-grade stockpiles, uh, as Andrew mentioned. Um, and you can see the, the flow-on effect of the lower ounces and the continued uh, operating spend, but importantly, the, the capital investment continuing, uh, moving on to doing work on the ventilation system um, and some other capital investments over the quarter. So um, all in all, increasing cost trend there, but on, on the back of some slightly lower production than we had in the original plan, but continuing to invest. Uh, just in terms of the upper mine drilling, um, we, we put out a release on this. This is some of the some of the area that we're uh, planning to bring into the reserve. We've been doing some infill drilling in those areas, and that's highlighted some higher grade um, parts of that area of the ore body that we previously hadn't identified. So. That's looking really positive for the uh, upper mine area as we as we move through that drilling program. And with that, I'll hand over to Paul to talk about the financial results. Thank you, Graham. Um, if we go to slide 15, please. So, Q3 2021 has been a solid quarter for Golden Star. 
So just to put things into context when comparing to Q3 2020, um, that, uh, that quarter last year can be considered as more of an exceptional quarter due to primarily two factors. So the gold price in that quarter was essentially at all-time highs. So we, during that quarter, we actually realized a spot price average of 1961 with an average total post the incorporation of the stream of 1813. Uh, the other thing to note is that the underground mining rate was very high. We almost had uh, 5,000 tonnes per day. So looking at Q3 this year, so um, in accordance with the 2021 restated guidance that we issued in June 2021, we always expected a dip in production in this quarter. I'm pleased to say that our site team has worked really hard to actually deliver production with a significant contribution being made from the stockpiles. Turning to the financial performance, so um, despite slightly lower gold ounces sold, so we sold 38.4 thousand ounces, Q3 was a reasonable quarter from a financial perspective. With respect to the macro environment and the strong gold price, the business realized an average spot price of 17.53 per ounce or 16.76 post the impact of the Royal Gold Stream. So this then resulted in revenues of $64.3 million. The mine operating profit was $19.5 million. Of note, as Graham alluded to, the cost of sales have increased by 18% due to a combination of factors, so that's higher drilling costs, processing low, uh, more low-grade materials from the stockpiles, and the cost pressures being, expect, uh, being um, experienced sorry, in the broader industry. So these primarily relate to labour, fuel and consumables. So we experienced higher drilling costs due to the rescheduling of the mine plan during the quarter, and that, and that relates to grade control drilling. If we turn to the depreciation, this has increased in comparison to the prior year uh, quarter due to the completion of a number of capital projects in 2020 and 2021. This obviously has an impact on earnings, but not on the cash flow. The gain in the fair value of the derivative financial instruments was $0.7 million. So this relates to the gain in the quarter on the hedge positions, which again is a non-cash item. Turning to the adjusted EBITDA, that was $21.2 million. So there's a number of adjustments to EBITDA which were included in the other expenses category, and these relate to two items primarily. So firstly, there's a non-cash allowance recognised and the deferred consideration for the Prestia disposal of $13.3 million. And in aggregate, that's $32.9 million for 2021 year-to-date. Secondly, there was um, a charge of $1.1 million in respect of corporate development costs. So turning to the adjusted net income attributable shareholders, that was... $0.2 million, or $0 cents per share, rounded, obviously. This is a function of the following factors. So we had lower revenues due to the lower sales ounces, which was driven by the lower production ounces. Uh, and then there was obviously the lower realized price in comparison to Q3 2020 in terms of those record prices achieved. 
There was the increased cost of sales for the direct mining costs, as I mentioned, for the low-grade stockpile cost, which is an, which is non-cash. And then we've got the increased depreciation due to the higher, depreciate, uh, higher depreciable asset base. Then we had the FDR settlement, as I mentioned, in terms of the $13.3 million de-recognition loss. Turning to slide 16 in terms of the balance sheet, I'm pleased to report that we've continued to reposition the balance sheet to provide a stronger, more robust base for the business. So there were two key notable events during the quarter. Firstly, we had the convertible debenture repayment and settlement in cash of $51.5 million. And secondly, we had the drawdown of the revolver credit facility from Macquarie. So this takes the total amount drawn on the RCF to $90 million. With these two actions, we've actually lowered the overall cost of capital and we've pushed out the principal repayment profile. So with the cash position at the end of the quarter being $50.5 million, the net debt position was $31.9 million. And this has all been done whilst investing $13.3 million of total capex during the quarter. Just with reference to the hedge programme, we've got the hedge programme in place, which delivers 12,500 ounces per quarter to the end of Q1 2024. We've got a floor price of 1,600, and a ceiling is probably circa 2,150 on average, uh, which which provides a sensible window for the business going forward. Just turning to the next slide. Uh, on the net cash flow bridge, uh, we've, we've cash management during the quarter was a key consideration for the business, particularly with the repayment of the convertible debenture. So we started the quarter with $72.7 million in preparation for the convertible debenture repayment, and we ended the quarter with a healthy cash balance of 50.5. The key things to note on the cash flow bridge for the quarter as follows. So we've got WASA's operational cash generation of 10.6 million. So there are, continues to be capital investment to underpin the future development of WASA. This was 11.1 million during the quarter. Then we continue to invest in exploration with $3.2 million being spent in Q3. With respect to the financing activities, this reflects the convertible debenture repayment and settlement and the Macquarie facility drawdown. Other point to note is that is that the ATM has not been used during Q3 2021, so there are no ATM proceeds included within the financials for the quarter. With that, I'll hand over to Mitch, who's going to run through the exploration and geology section, which takes us to slide 19, please. Thanks, Paul. Um, slide 19, just as a brief overview of where we were focusing our exploration efforts in 21. The majority of the focus was up at the Wassa mining lease where we continue to test uh, both up and down dip of the current reserves. Um, the guidance we have is about 14 million bucks. Uh, actually, the forecast is probably going to come in a little bit under that. We should be somewhere between 11 and 12 million dollars for, um, for the year. So we'll, let's proceed now over on to slide number 20. Uh, slide 20 is a longitudinal section of the WASA deposit that shows the uh, ISO shell, which is in red there, which is the 1.5 gram per ton. 
The dotted lines that you see both up dip and down dip are the areas of focus for 2021 drilling. Um, we've had success in, in both locations. Uh, one hole that was drilled in uh, 2020, late 2020, where we intersected 18 meters at three and a half or 3.6 grams per ton. We've actually gone in there with the underground drill rigs and drilled 50 meters to the north and 125 meters to the south on that one and actually have it drilled off to a density that we'll be able to include into the reserves uh, for year end. The up dip uh, has been quite successful as well. We've delineated a zone that's roughly 100, 125 meters uh, along strike now uh, with some new results coming in there with duplicate the results from the previous hole, which was 20 meters at 6.9 and 50 meters to the south, we intersected uh, 19 meters at 4.6. To the north of that particular hole, we intersected several other zones that uh, are looking interesting as well that we'll follow up with in 2020 with that uh, drilling there. Progressing over to slide number 21 just shows some of the near mine exploration targets outside of the Wassa main deposit itself. Uh, you'll see up in the uh, top uh, right hand side the near mine stuff at Mid East and Dead Man's Hill, the ME and DMH uh, drilling that we did there. We drilled four holes up there, intersected mineralization where we anticipated. Uh, the zones are there. I did not intersect any high grade uh, mineralization that we were looking for, uh, full closures up there. Uh, one interesting section we did do is the last fence you see on that South Atchim Pim or the sack drilling that's on the lower left-hand corner there. The last fence we drilled, which is uh, shown on the section uh, off to the right-hand side there, intersected mineralization about 120 metres down dip was the last known mineralization there at about 8.3 metres at 4.2 grams per tonne. Um, essentially, the exploration programs are wrapping up for the year. Uh, we are going to be concentrating on the upper mine drilling that, uh, that uh, Graham pointed out there. And that's going to be the main focus for the remaining part of the year. On that, I'll hand back over to Andrew just to uh, give you a brief on the um, forecast and the, and the PEA. Back to you, Andrew. Thanks very much, Mitch. Um, so just finishing on slide 22, where you can see there the focus areas for the business, together with the longer-term targets. And as I mentioned at the outset, sound progress over quarter three. Um, and the only other thing I'd finish on was notwithstanding the news yesterday, everyone remains very focused on delivering to plan and, and the target for the year and beyond. Um, with that, I'll hand back to Kelsey and we can go to Q&A. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Did you have a question? Please press the star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. You will then hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order that they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by the two. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment, please, for your first question. Your first question does come from Bryce Adams from CIBC Capital. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning and good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, firstly, uh, the deal price announced yesterday, that's a uh, premium to recent trading, but it's also a decent discount to the PEA filed earlier in the year. So what was your approach to balancing these two factors and uh, why pursue a sale when there's a lot of value in the PEA that could, could be realized? Hi, Bryce. It's Andrew. Uh, let me, I'll take that question. Uh, 
in terms of the price uh, and uh, the deal price, I think it's the same equation that you look at with any level of interest in terms of trying to uh, assess the trade-off between the long-term delivery, um, you know, the risked long-term delivery versus what is on the table today. As you say, you know, the PEA does have potential to deliver a lot of value. Um, although, you know, we're conscious that that's a few years out. Um, there's a fair bit of investment that needs to go in in order to deliver that. And as you can see at the moment, we're reinvesting all the capital out of the business back into the business. So there's a certain reliance on gold prices holding up where they are. So, you know, with that balance in mind and the price offered, both to current trading as well as, um, you know, some of the recent average levels we've been trading at, we felt that, you know, that offered a good opportunity to take to shareholders. Okay, understood. Uh, secondly, the spread between uh, current trading levels and, and the deal price is fairly wild. Uh, it's fairly wide. As you progress uh, towards closing the transaction, what do you see as the the key risks here, and and do they, you know, somewhat explain the spread in the marketplace? Yeah, the spread. I think last night I haven't seen where we're trading today. It was about six percent, I think, off the offer price. Um, and as you say, that's probably linked to views around some of the approvals required. As I mentioned, there's no financing conditions, so I don't think there's an issue there. Um, it's probably looking to see how things progress in terms of the approvals in China, where there's three main approvals required, which are fairly standard ones, um, and then the no objection approval in Ghana that typically comes at the end of the process, and obviously shareholder votes as well. So, you know, as we go through, I think people get a bit more comfortable. Potentially, it trades closer to the deal price, but there's other people more expert than I am on that. I mean, all I would say is that, um, you know, the dialogue we've had with Shifong through the process is that they've had positive feedback when they've approached the regulators in China to move ahead with the transaction. And for deals of this nature, um, which, you know, for Shifong, it's fairly middle of the fairway transaction. Um, there's not a lot of history of those being rejected by the Chinese regulatory process. And in Ghana, we've made sure that we've had a good level of dialogue throughout with the authorities there so that they're comfortable with what is happening, what is planned, and, you know, what they need to do as part of their process. So I think we've positioned ourselves as well as we can in that respect. And then the shareholder votes are planned probably later in December. So I think, you know, from my perspective, that's what I can say. The market will take its own view of where it needs to trade, but um, we don't see a lot of risk in that. Okay, thanks. You mentioned uh, no financing conditions. Uh, but could you go through the language in the press release around the potential for a co-buyer co acquiring 38% of the Golden Star shares? What's driving that? And uh, yeah, I don't know if you can talk to it, but what's the probability that Shifong go with a partner or go it alone? So the, the partner they're referring to is 
a fund of a bank, so CIIT fund, part of industrial bank. Um, so it's a major Chinese bank. Um, and the way I would look at that is it's effectively bank funding. Um, and there's some advantages to that, particularly in terms of uh, timing and approvals given on the Shanghai Exchange. They have a series of tests which are a bit like the class tests in the UK, which trigger certain processes if you go above certain ratios. So um, with you know funding it this way, it enables them to stay below some of those ratios. So there's benefits there. But it also means that they keep additional cash availability, both for further investment into the business, uh, as well as other opportunities they may be looking at given I think you know there's some fairly ambitious growth plans on the side of Chiffon. But from our perspective, the key was to ensure that at announcement this was fully funded by the cash resources that Chiffon themselves have. And then you know, if they decide that it makes more sense to, to finance ultimately that way through the planned bringing on board of the fund, then structurally that's very easy to do and potentially gives them a bit more flexibility and firepower. Okay, so just from, from my understanding then, uh, their preference would to be to go without the partner, uh, but it might be advantageous for the regulatory approvals? No, I mean, I don't think I can really speak to, you know, for them in terms of what their preferences are. Um, they've highlighted to us that they may decide to go this direction. I think they've got the flexibility to go both routes, whatever really suits them. Um, you know, from our perspective, it doesn't really change anything in terms of the transaction. I think from memory, if um, you also look at the way that Shandong structured the acquisition of Cardinal, I think they did something very similar by um, bringing in this sort of financing partner. So it's a sort of fairly well-trodden path for Chinese listed companies. Okay, uh, thanks for that. Uh, Graham, my apologies, uh, no questions from me this time around, but uh, thanks to everyone. Cheers. Thank, thanks, thanks, Brian. Brian. Great we'll disappointed. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, should you have a question, please go ahead and press the star followed by the one. Your next question does come from Daniel McConvey from Rasport Investments. Please go ahead. Good day, Andrew, everyone. Um, hey, thank you. Um, a couple of questions. One, I was going to ask you, first off, on the, the no objection permit, Andrew, uh, when would you expect that one? That typically, Dan, comes right at the end of the process. So, you know, once I would have thought most of the other conditions are, are fulfilled, and I guess we've just got to be conscious of when that actually falls calendar-wise. So uh, late December, early January, it might be difficult to get hold of the right people. So we would expect that probably more to be towards the second week of January as we get to the very end of the process and closing. Okay, thank you. Um, Andrew, can you give us a bit of the history of, of, uh, of your of dealing with Xingfeng and the, of, this, uh, of the acquisition? And what is the, what do you, I know you're, it's not for your decision or your call, but how is the transition just in terms of employees and management, et cetera, have been talked about between the two companies? Yeah, uh, by all means. Uh, we've been talking for probably about six months 
almost exactly, I think, since we first had an approach. Um, and, you know, over that time, obviously got to know each other a little bit better, um, got to understand what the capacity and capability of Chiffon are. Uh, they've had a team in country for quite some time. As I think everybody knows, they were previously looking at Bibiani and they kept a presence in Ghana um, on the ground. So they've developed some relationships in country as well, which I think is important. Um, you know, through that process, uh, key for us was understanding capability to take the operation on, um, you know, their views and level of interest in the PEA plan and delivering the PEA plan, given, you know, we know that's important to other stakeholders in country. Um, our CSR um, programs and the way that we engage and do business there, and I think they've been very impressed by what they see and keen to take those on. And then to transition, which is really the phase we're in now, of you know ensuring that our employees, be they in Ghana or the UK, um, are fairly treated through that process. And you know I think. If I'm honest, most of the impact obviously comes in London, given that they don't need a head office in London. In Ghana, the message is very much they're keen to push the development of an investment in Wasa, and you know they're going to need people to be able to do that. So a real focus there on the team and on the skills in place. Um, they'll have people at site uh, from end of this week or probably next week at some stage in order to then, you know, get that more day-to-day -day familiarity and build those relationships as we go through the next two months so that, you know, we achieve as smooth a handover as we can. Okay. So they, they will have people at site right through the closing, the plan? Yes. Yeah. Great. Great. Andrew, thank you very much. All the best. No, you're welcome. Cheers. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. You may please proceed. Okay, thank you very much. If there is anything, then um, you've got all of our contact details and be more than happy to follow up on any of those points and um, to see how things progress. So appreciate the time today and thank you very much again to everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.